I'm Dr. Orion Taraban, and this is Psychacks Better Living Through Psychology. And the topic of today's short talk is why marriage kills sex. So I'll start off by saying that by marriage, I don't necessarily mean the legal institution of marriage because this will happen in long-term committed relationships, especially cohabitating relationships. So I'm using the term marriage in this more dilated sense. And it seems to be the case that the organic tendency in relationships is for the frequency and intensity of sex to decline as a function of time. There are things you can do to prevent or mitigate this tendency, but doing nothing generally produces outcomes in this direction. And while I will give you some actionable, though counterintuitive advice on how to prevent this from occurring in your own relationship, we first have to spend some time understanding why this cooling tendency occurs in the first place. Now, there are many reasons why this happens, because sex is actually a really complicated activity. It's not just about making babies and hedonic pleasure. There are lots of things that sex does in human relationships, and one of the most important things that it does is facilitate emotional bonding. This is largely due to the fact that certain sexual behaviors like nipple stimulation in women and orgasm in men are associated with increased levels of oxytocin, the hormone that facilitates emotional bonding. The higher the oxytocin levels, the stronger the bond. This is why sex is typically so hot and heavy in the early stages of the courtship process. At this stage of the relationship, neither party has any legitimate claim on the other. And so neither can reasonably expect to see that person ever again. This creates a lot of uncertainty and insecurity, especially when there are high levels of attraction, which stimulate the impulse to solidify the emotional bond. Basically, when early couples have sex, they're functionally saying with their bodies, I want you to come back. And the stronger the bond, the more likely the person will return. Now, this situation changes dramatically over time. Once a relationship has been defined and a commitment has been secured and a mutual lifestyle established, the idea that the other person is just going to up and leave becomes less and less of a probability. In fact, there is no need to wonder whether someone is going to come back if they never leave in the first place. The relationship becomes more secure, but in so doing, the other person becomes a sure thing. And once this happens, one of the primary functions of sex, the establishment of an emotional bond, becomes irrelevant and redundant. There is no necessity to create security in completely secure relationships. It's just not needed. And because it's not needed, it's very hard in some cases to arouse an authentic desire for it. Few people crave food when they're not hungry. On the whole, people have trouble tolerating uncertainty and insecurity, especially with people they're attracted to. And this anxiety motivates people to reduce that uncertainty and insecurity in their relationships as much and as quickly as possible. And sex is one great way to do that. The issue is that no one gets aroused by security and stability. To keep desire alive in committed relationships, we need to have a greater collective tolerance for uncertainty and insecurity.
because it's in that space that the necessity for sex as a bonding agent remains evergreen. Now, before I go any further, if you like what you're hearing, please consider sending this episode to someone who might benefit from its message because it's word of mouth referrals like this that really help to make the channel grow. You can also hit the super thanks button, the three little dots in the lower right-hand corner, and tip me in proportion to the value you feel you've received from this episode. I rely on your support to make all this happen, and I really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, so how do we go about solving this problem? Well, there are many potential solutions to this problem, and what I'm going to recommend might not work for everyone in all cases. However, you might have to appreciate the fact that if you could have solved the problem by now, you would have solved the problem by now. So the solution you seek will likely be found in a place you haven't looked yet. And while I'm not going to encourage anyone in the situation to have an affair, I am going to suggest that they act as if they were having one. That's my suggestion. Act as if you were having an affair. Stick with me while I break down why this works. Let's just imagine for a second that you were having an affair. What kinds of things would you be doing? Well, you might be a bit more withdrawn at home. You might be a little more secretive. After all, you now have something to hide. You might be deviating from your routine, leaving the house at odd hours or going places you wouldn't ordinarily go. You might be less communicative and available, like you wouldn't answer a call or respond to a text right away if you were with your lover. And you might be less needy or demanding about getting sex in your primary relationship because you're now getting it on the side. All these things seem like plausible indicators of an affair, right? Like if your partner changed in all of these ways all of a sudden, wouldn't you suspect cheating? And what kind of feelings would that suspicion arouse? Again, I'm not advising people to go out and cheat on their spouses, but everything that goes with cheating the space, the mystery, the novelty, the freedom, the risk, the elusiveness is really good at maintaining sexual interest. Stop asking permission. Do something different without telling your partner. Carve some space for yourself that doesn't involve the other person. Resist the urge to communicate throughout the day. Break out of your routines and simultaneously pull back on pursuing sex in your primary relationship. Give your partner the opportunity, the gift of wondering about you, of feeling your absence, of missing your presence. After all, you can't connect with someone if you never disengage. The idea here is to cultivate a sense of the unknown in explored territory. With long-term partners, it's easy to fall into the fallacy that you know everything about them. That's because you've heard all their stories, sometimes many, many times over, and you might be in constant communication throughout the day. So when you actually come together in the evening, you might suffer from the belief that they're a completely known entity, which won't inspire any interest, let alone curiosity. By being spontaneous, unpredictable, and, dare I say it, selfish, you cultivate an island of novelty in the midst of a well-known sea. By disrupting my expectations, I pay attention. In paying attention, I notice a change. In noticing a change, I become curious. And in frustrating my curiosity, I become interested. 
That interest motivates me to close the distance that you intentionally created and to confirm a bond that you intentionally made just slightly more tenuous. Throw in the suspicion of another woman or another man, and voila, you've got yourself a recipe for passion. Some of you may think this is game playing, but remember, we like to play games. We play games for fun. So if your relationship feels like a joyless obligation or a boring routine or a neutered friendship, you might consider injecting some play into your situation. And one way to do that is to act as if you were having an affair. Humans are weird and we don't always make sense. Something to consider. What do you think? Does this fit with your own experience? Let me know in the comments below. And if you've gotten this far, you might as well like this episode and subscribe to this channel. You may also consider becoming a channel member with perks like priority review of comments or booking a paid consultation. As always, thank you for listening.